Today we're going to talk about prayer as we start this series. And I want to invite you to close your eyes and listen to the words of this beautiful, famous, famous prayer. You might even be able to follow along with me. Our Father, Daddy, Abba, Papa, Dad. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day just enough, just our daily bread, especially this holiday season where excess, excess everything, excess food, excess drink, excess party. But give us just what we need. And forgive us for the trespasses where we trespass into somebody else's territory, where we cross somebody else's boundaries. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Bobby. If you can temper, I've got a little, little too much treb. Would it help if I got up on the stage? Okay, I'll do that. <clears throat> Everybody heard that? Would it help if I got up on the stage? Okay. Back down on the floor. <clears throat> Are we good? Uh, <clears throat> I'll keep talking and I'll let them sort it out while everybody does this. So Paul is right. Um, we're starting uh, next week a Kingdom Citywide new series next week called 21 Days of 21 Days of Spiritual Pursuit. 21 days divided by seven, three weeks, seven days, three weeks. It's going to start next Sunday, January 6th, and it's going to run uh, those three full weeks until January uh, 26th. It's going to conclude on a Saturday. And um, what we're going to do is that Saturday at, I think, about 5 p.m., um, the congregations are going to gather together for like a breaking fast, kind of a big potluck celebration. Um, by the way, they've asked Woven to coordinate the potluck for that. So they've asked Woven. So if anybody here would like to coordinate a potluck, basically tell people what to do and what to bring, let me know. Um, but that's coming up. That's how this series is going to end. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit too much. The series starts next week, next Sunday. And as Paul mentioned, uh, we'll all be together for this joint uh, kickoff celebration for this series. Um, I am apologetic. It seems like we're having a lot of joint services, but all for good reason, especially this coming one um, as we kick off the series and start on a strong foot. Because it's going to be prayer going across all the churches. Um, and it's going to be a prayer initiative under this roof. Um, you'll be receiving daily email devotionals um, featuring videos from Pastor John, Pastor Alejandro, and myself as well. And uh, you can use those for your own devotional practices. Um, you can use this time to kind of kick off 
um, your own prayer life once again, or maybe for the first time. You know, New Year's resolutions, it's a great time to kind of get back into gear, to kind of find ways to creatively, I want to emphasize creatively, get our um, prayer juices flowing once again. Um, numerous ways you can do that. Numerous ways you can do that. Um, one, one idea is to use those devotionals. If you get those devotionals, um, to use them in the email, to pray through them. Maybe um, if you are making rounds in the med center. And I was talking with a doctor this holiday and how difficult it is for people in the med center to just um, really get away. I know because we've been trying to coordinate that med center examine thing for a long time. It's so difficult. But even if it's for 30 minutes and you have time for a lunch, to even be able to just pray through the devotional you receive. Or how about this for an idea? How about um, uh, the uh, examine, examine of conscience that we've been teaching, that we've talked about? What if you said, hey, um, to somebody here in this congregation, what if we talked every night? And for 21 days, we did an examine of conscience together. What do you think if, we, if I called you? And just for those 21 days, every night we ran through, we did an examine. How about that for an idea? Now, that's, something that, that's something that I practice myself. Or maybe you might even consider fasting during this time. So all of these different ideas about prayer, this is a great time to jumpstart it. But what I want to do today, what I want to do today is prepare us a little bit for this series that's going to start next Sunday. It's going to start next Sunday, and what I want to do is do some instruction on prayer that comes from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your scripture, if you have your Bible, you can turn and look at Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading verses 5 to 13. These words, these instructions that Jesus gives on prayer. You know, Jesus, he, you know, I just said you can try this, try that. But he gives some pretty clear-cut directions here. When you pray, he says in verse 5 of Matthew 6. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that they may be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. A couple of times um, throughout my tenure as pastor um, in Houston, as a pastor in Houston, I've, I've heard people say, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I, have, I, I don't even know what to say. What do I do? Why do I pray? What's the purpose of prayer? And so four instructions on prayer. I want, this is my attempt to really um, make it as clear and practical and accessible as possible. Four instructions on prayer that we see here in Matthew chapter 6. The first instruction, and you see this in your notes, is it must be done in secret. Pray in secret. Now, we prayed publicly here. We prayed publicly. But the point that Jesus makes is don't do it on street corners. Don't do it 
for show. Don't do it so that people might see it. Now, we do that at church, but more importantly, make sure it's happening in secret. Make sure that it's happening as well in secret. And I think what Jesus is talking about here is that the quality of our religion, it cannot be just for show. It can't be just something that we do in front of people. It must also be something that happens behind the scenes. When I was in my early 20s, there was a quote that I heard. It probably came from a football coach. And it captured me, and it, it stayed with me. Um, because it, to me, it spoke about exactly what Jesus said here. And that quote is, character, character is who you are in the dark when no one is watching you. Character is who we are in the dark when no one is watching us. Who are we in the dark when no one is watching you? And my friend, I remember he's smart Alec, he replied to me, I'm sleeping. But the point is, who we are in secret, well, our faith needs to look real there too. Our faith is not just something for show. And if it's something that it's just outward, it's just something that we all do together. We come to church and it's something that we do publicly. That's really not enough. The true quality of your religion is not what happens publicly. Well, I went to church this week. Or I prayed at the table when everybody, you know, you know, it's like dad always gets us to hold hands and we have to pray over the meal. Well, we did that. The thing is, our spirituality must be real in the secret as well. And that is indeed the real test of if our faith is not just real, but alive and well. If our faith is alive and well, it's going to be alive and well in public, but also in secret. So there's this real personal quality about this passage, this private. It has to be real when no one is watching. In fact, that phrase in verse 6, pray to your father who is in, heaven, in secret, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Those exact words are repeated three times in chapter 6 of Matthew. They're repeated three times here in regards to prayer, in verse 4 in regards to giving. So if you're, if you're giving, make sure you're not showing everybody, well, here, I just put in like a $100 bill into the offering plate or something. Don't do that. Do it in secret because if nobody's seeing you, that means it's real. Does that make sense? If nobody is seeing you doing it, that means it's really real. Especially in this millennial generation, everyone is looking for what's genuine. The millennials in particular, and really it's not just millennials, it's all of us, all generations, recognize fake, but also look for the genuine article. If your faith is real, it's going to be real when no one is watching. So in verse 4, he talks about when you give, make sure you do that in secret. And the same words are repeated. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then again in verse 18, pertaining to fasting. And the same words are repeated. When your father, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I mean, have you ever seen somebody who's like, I'm fasting, I'm so tired, and I'm hungry, 
and this is some suffering for God. And he says, don't do that. He says, wash your face. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. Because you're not doing it for them anyway. You're not doing it for them. Now, you might wonder, well, Pastor Wayne, isn't that the whole point? I want people to know that I'm fasting. I want people to know that I give generously. I want people to know that I pray. Here's the secret. The secret is they will know. They'll be able to tell. They'll know. Because secret, secret prayers, and this is an important principle, secret prayers lead to public power. Secret prayers, much prayer, secret prayers lead to public power. And I don't mean public power like, God, make me powerful, make me powerful. No, I mean when push comes to shove, you're able to have a backbone. When it's time, you're able to stand firm. Your prayers in secret, when nobody's watching, people can tell. People can tell. People can tell that you've been fasting, not because you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, but because there's a secret inner power. There's a quietness, there's a poise, there's a serenity. People can tell when you've been nurturing your soul. It always smells, it always, it always there's a tell. And you don't have to tell anybody that you've been praying lately. You don't have to tell anybody that you've been doing your devotions or you've been meditating or you've been, you don't have to tell anybody. I mean, you should, it's not for them anyway. There's no reason to tell them, right? But people can tell. It's kind of, it reminds me, you know, I remember when I was in college in my junior year, <clears throat> in my junior year, uh, I mean, I, I went to art school in New York City. We did a whole lot of painting a whole lot of drawing. Um, we had one six-hour, six-hour class, just one class that was just drawing nonstop. And, you know, it's not like drawing from, we drew from the model. And um, don't try to imagine it. It's, that's just art school. But a lot of drawing, and when you practice and when you draw, you know, you know people sometimes say, it's, it always tickles me, you know, when you see a piece of artwork, you say, what is that? Like, I could do that. I could do that. And my answer to that is, first of all, you can't do that. And secondly, you didn't. <laughs> if you could do it, you would have done it. But the thing about drawing for six hours is you really learn to develop with a single line. You can capture the entire essence of the model, of the, of the human figure, of the flow, just with a single line. And six hours every week for the entire school year, you get really good. And, you know, Pasalacqua, my teacher, uh, he was one of the great masters. I mean, he painted, port he did portraits of presidents and royalty. And he was my professor. And he'd walk around, he's this old, crusty, I think he was like a World War II vet. And he would look and he'd say, good, looks good. You know, this crusty guy with a beard. And, and he'd look at everybody's artwork and he says, I like that. Right? And he says, faster, faster, draw faster, draw faster. You know, like, you're, you're, not, you're not doing this kind of sketching. This is faster, faster. You'd always tell us faster. You'd tell us faster. And I remember after a year of drawing and painting and digital design and all that stuff, when you're doing it for work, it no longer becomes a hobby, right? And so summer, summer break rolled around, and I, the, I did not pick up a paintbrush or charcoal. or I didn't pick it up not once because it felt like work. So I spent the entire summer not practicing, just playing hooky. And then my senior year in September, I got back into Pasalacqua's class, six-hour drawing section, and I was nervous. And I'm drawing, 
and Pasolak was making his way around. Good! I like that! Faster! And as I'm drawing, he comes around my shoulder, and he's, he's silent. He, he looks at my, at my um, you know, that, that, that long, you know, he's looking at me on charcoal paper, trying really hard to make up for four, three, three, four months of no work. And you know what he says? You haven't been drawing, have you? I'm like, oh. the, the dude could tell just from one line that I haven't been drawing. And I, I didn't say anything, but he was dead on. He was exactly right. You know, we can tell with each other. We can tell. I mean, not that you're going to come up to somebody and say, you haven't been praying, have you? Right? You're not going to do that. But we can kind of just tell when somebody, we can kind of just tell. There's an African proverb, an African proverb, it's actually an African story, about when um, in uh, one, one African country where people first started becoming Christians, um, you know, way back in the day, when they sought out privacy to pray, these early Christians, they would pray, you know, in the thicket, in, in, in the different parts of the wilderness. But they had regular places that they would go if they were praying, you know, in this part of the woods. You know, uh, the path, the path, the trail to their secluded spot would grow, you know, they, uh, it would grow, instead of overgrown, it would be, you know, trod. There would be a path that would be worn. But if somebody had not been praying, the grass would grow back. And they would encourage one another by saying, brother, sister, the grass is growing on your path. And you haven't been praying. We can tell. People can tell. People can tell. when you've been working it. Because it's just, it, we can see the quality of your line. We can see the grass growing on your path. Secret prayers lead to public power. They really do. If you want to know, how can I be a better leader? How can I be more assertive? How can I set boundaries better? How can I be more patient? How can I be more kind? Pray. That's where the source of strength will come from. So pray in secret is the first instruction. And right away, you know, right away, I, you know, you can tell that what Jesus is giving you is a fundamental baseline that the purpose of prayer is not to write Shakespearean prose. Like, you know, have you ever prayed, especially when you're, and you at it, and you pray, and you're like, um, dear Jesus, um, um, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, give me a do-over. <laughs> Scratch that, I want to start over again. It, it doesn't matter. You're not doing it for public eyes. Do it in secret. Find ways to pray. The second instruction that Jesus gives, so the first thing, right off the bat, he says, do it in secret. The second thing that Jesus says is, do it in an inner room. Find an inner room. An inner room. What is an inner room? What's an inner room that Jesus is talking about? The word there uh, in the Greek is tameon. Tameon was literally, one commentator you know, puts it like this. He says it was a storage, is any kind of storage chamber. It's a kind of room where sacred vessels could be stored, everyday supplies like you know, the toilet paper or you know, the, the plunger, you know, that's, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a place where you store these supplies. 
even water for bathing. So back then they had to store water. So it was a back closet. And he continues, the commentator says, there's a link with remoteness or privacy. So it's a sense where it's a back secluded room where people are not going to open it. Oh, I'm so sorry. What are you doing in there? It's, it's a remote private place. And he adds, it works best if there's something inherently odd about using the room for prayer. There's something odd about that. There's something inherently odd about that. You see, why does Jesus say, go pray in your, literally, your wash closet? Why does he say that? If you've read the Gospels before, if you've read the Gospels before, Jesus oftentimes is looking for secluded, quiet places to be alone. Do you remember that? If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Oftentimes, throughout the story, the gospel story, Jesus is missing, or he's in the wilderness, he's in the woods. If he's not in the woods, you know, literally making a path, making a trail, he's praying in seclusion over on the, the grove of trees over there. Or if, if he's not in the woods, he's on a boat, setting out, removed from people. But what happens, now listen to this, what happens when you get into a city where you have no grove of trees down the street where you can quietly pray, or you have no boat where you can get off and set off. You know, for me, my dream, I've always wanted a kayak. I've had this fantasy that I could have a kayak so that one day I could just get on the kayak and go out and be with God and never come home. <laughs> and, but... Where? In Cinco Ranch, am I going to do that in the middle of the lake somewhere and just pray to God and like there's, you know, there's, the, the, there's the, the pizza shop over there and just people staring. When I was living in Seattle, you could do that all the time. In Seattle, if you had a kayak, you could literally disappear into the woods and be with God. But if you're living in a city, you can't do that. There's no secluded places, especially in Jerusalem. Especially in Jerusalem, Jesus knew this because he had been into Jerusalem at least more than once. And being in this holy city that was crowded, probably about 80 to 100,000 people, 100,000 people living in, in this small space, and then during the festivals, during the feasts, up to a million people, a million people jamming. Where are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray? So the whole point is you have to find a secret place. And so you find a secret place, and you get down, and you on your knees, and I always encourage, I encourage you, practical, if you want to find a secret place, get on your knees. Now, you get on your knees, and then you're just about to pray, and then somebody comes in and, you know, uses the toilet and flushes it, or somebody's, what are you doing in there? I mean, imagine how hard it is to find a secret place, and what Jesus is saying is, listen, I don't care if it's your office, or if it's your study, or if it's the back of your car, or if it's your wash closet, use it, conscript it, take it, just do it. I think that's the essence of what he's saying here. If you're looking for the perfect temple, or the perfect grove of trees over there, you may never find it. Just find whatever you can and do it. Do it. Whether it's a back room, whether it's a closet, conscript it. Conscript it. Just take it and use it. Forget about all the ceremonialism and all about that. Forget about it. Just use it. I remember for me personally, one of the best gifts I ever had in my life was somebody who showed me how to do this. And I wish maybe I should be. Maybe I should be a better discipler.
But this man, he was always praying, my goodness. Always praying. He didn't care if he was on a plane or in his basement. Every time I was with him, he would say, let's pray. And he's always praying. I mean, you're talking hours and hours and hours. And he's, all, he's just always praying, his head bobbing back and forth. He's on his knees. He's muttering under his breath. And when you see that, you realize he doesn't care about the formalities. He doesn't care about, like, this man. He didn't care about, oh, I just have to get into the mood. Or I just, I need to be private. I need to be alone. I, or he didn't need the perfect mood lighting. Or he didn't need the, he just did it. He just did it. And from that I learned, from that I learned that the point of prayer, the point of prayer is, is, is you know, it's like the, the common sports slogan, just do it. Whether it's here or there, conscript the space, make it yours, and do it. So your inner room, whatever it is, find it. That's the second instruction. Find your inner room. Maybe I might even swap out that word find for commandeer. Commandeer, take that space, claim it, and if you get interrupted, so what? That's your space, use it for prayer. Because you might not be able to find that perfect wilderness location. Or, oh, it's so romantic, and it's so perfect, me and Jesus. Whatever space you have, use it. There's a, you see, there's a pragmatism about it. There's a pragmatism, I think that's what Jesus is on to. Pragmatic. Here's the third instruction. The third instruction is engage your mind. So first, pray in secret. Second, find your inner room. Third, engage your mind. When you pray, engage your mind. When you pray, think, 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 think. Now, you'd, you'd be like, duh, isn't that, I mean, why, why do you have to say that? Because... I think the misunderstanding about prayer that's very prevalent is that is the, is the power in just me incanting the words, kind of like, you know, could I just say expecto patronum and then my prayers will come true? I mean, is it about the incantation of the words? I would say no. I would say it's about your mind and your spirit and your heart engaged with the words that you're saying. Prayer is not a magic wand. It's not an incantation. That's not the purpose of prayer. And if it doesn't work the first time, expecto patronum, expecto patronum, expecto patronum. That's not what the, that, prayer is about the mind and the spirit and the intellect engaged with the words that are coming from your mouth. Jesus says in verse 7, when you pray, don't use meaningless repetition. Don't use meaningless repetition you know, Wingardium Leviosa, Wingardium Leviosa, it didn't work the first time. It's that the purpose is not the meaningless repetition. The purpose is engaging with the God to whom you are talking. The purpose is engaging with the God with whom we talk, not that repetitious kind of blabbering, blabbering on and on. That, the word there for meaningless repetition is very interesting. Listen to this. Uh, it's two Greek words put together, logeo, logos, if you know that word logos, which is word or speak, and then bata, bata logeo, bata, which is this repetitions, repetitious sense about it, bata logeo, bata logeo. And that word bata, that's appended to logeo or, or prepended, bata 
Some scholars recognize it as an onomatopoeia. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like the noise it makes. So if you have a fly that's buzzing around, it's buzzing. That word buzz is the sound that it makes. So if you're bata lagaoing, you're battering, you're batting, you're battering, you're batting your words around. Uh, some recognize that that's like this. That's 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 it's a it's like bata 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 bata. You're just bata 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 batting your 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 words, and and Jesus is don't don't bata 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 don't do that, don't do that. Is he talking about speaking in tongues? And let me, let me camp here just a little bit about the whole tongues thing because ever since we've come under this, this roof, Kingdom City, the last almost 12 months now, just shy, a couple of months, you might have heard some bada 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 You might have heard it at least once. If you were around a little bit more, uh, the, the longer you're, you, 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 you hang out here, you're going to hear it more. I, I guarantee you're going to hear it more. You might want to get used to it. So is Jesus talking down on speaking in tongues and bada 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 bada? Is he talking down on that? Uh, what I want to say here about this whole thing about speaking in tongues, first of all, when I grew up as a Korean American, growing up in the Korean church, at least my experience in my upbringing, every, everybody spoke in tongues. Even I spoke in tongues. Whether you were Presbyterian or Methodist or Pentecostal, whatever denomination, if you went to a Korean church, you, you were Pentecostal in practice and Presbyterian in polity. And so for me, I grew up doing that. And I don't look down on that. I don't look down on that. I think the important rule of thumb when it comes to speaking in tongues, if I can teach this a little bit, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, by the way, I don't believe that speaking in tongues, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that, that, that those gifts don't exist anymore. I don't think that's correct. I do believe the spiritual gifts continue today. And if you can, use tongues. Speak in tongues in your prayers. But I would encourage you and I would even challenge you, don't do it in front of other people. Do it alone. If you speak in tongues, if that's great, do it in private. Not because you're offending somebody in public. I mean, if you want to do it in public, fine. But it's better to do it in private. That's my advice. Speaking in tongues as a prayer language is better in private than in public. That's my personal opinion. Why? Because as you're praying in tongues in private, if your mind is engaged, it becomes a powerful practice. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you pray in a tongue, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? Therefore, pray with the spirit, but pray with your mind also. And I like this. He says, sing with your spirit, but sing with your mind also. I mean, in church, you know, it's like, you know, what were we singing this morning? Um, what was the second song we sang? Um, it escapes me, but I... Uh, 
I'm sorry, that's not it. <laughs> no. <clears throat> no, no, no. To our God. Here. All right, never mind. Um, the point is, when there's a beautiful song, I just want to let my voice soar. And, you know, I just, ah, yeah, right? Or, oh, you know, you, you want to, but the point is, why do that? We could do that. But the mind must be engaged in our spiritual activity. The mind must be engaged in everything that we do and everything that we sing and everything that we pray. So if you are praying... The point of prayer, and this is where I'm going to connect it back to what Jesus is saying. The point of prayer is, please, Jesus, let me give, it, give me an Xbox 360 or Xbox One for Christmas. I want an Xbox One for Christmas. Xbox One for Christmas. Please, Jesus, Jesus, I worship you, Xbox One for Christmas. That's not how prayer works. That's not the point of prayer. It's not, again, it's not like Harry Potter's wand. If I say expecto patronum a hundred times, maybe that, that maybe the stag will appear. That's not, the, the prayer is not an incantation. That's why when Jesus says, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, what he's, what he's saying is, don't pray the pagan way. That word Gentiles, could, it could be translated pagan. And when we're talking about the pagan way of prayer, the pagan shamanistic way of prayer is if I just say, you know, chebal jom chebal. I'm sorry, I'm speaking Korean here, right? But, but please just give me what I want. Please give me what I need. Give it, give it to me, give it to me. And if I do this enough times, I'll get what. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not an incantation, but rather it is an ongoing communication with, that is intellectually engaged, saying, God, how can I understand? It's a conversation. It's a relationship with God. Best advice I can probably give you out of this whole long-winded speech is that prayer is like talking to another person. In fact, you are talking to a person. And you don't have to worry if you say it wrong. You don't even have to worry if you're upset. I'm pretty sure God can take it. The God who's lived through genocides and holocausts and who's lived through millennia of suffering of Jews, you think God can't hear you just kind of say, God, I'm, I, I don't get it. I'm upset. I think he can take it. I think he can take it. And so you talk to a person. You talk to a person. It's not, prayer is not, it, the purpose of it, and this is where a lot of people misunderstand, it's, it's just give me what I need, or, 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 or some, is there power in the words? The power is not in the empty words. This is why, this is why if, if you go to a confessional and you say, well, I, I've done this, and then the priest might say, and, and I'm, I'm not dissing on some religions here. I just hear what I'm saying. But if the priest says to you, well, go and say 12 um, nunc dimittises or something, And then you just go home and you say, oh, Lord, now I, my, spirit departs in, my, my spirit can depart in peace. And you just say it 12 times. I'm done. Did it work? Did it, how is that different from Harry Potter's wand and saying, you know, Wingardium Leviosa, Wingardium Leviosa? If the only purpose of prayer is to just say it 12 times and then you're done, there's no relational quality there. There's no mental engagement. There's no intellectual pursuit. There's no exploration, there's no spiritual exploration, the result really is, it's, 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 it's an empty, meaningless repetition. 
Prayer is to understand the mind of God. It is to know and to build this relationship with God. There was a man who was in prison. He was a Christian. He was in prison for his Christian faith. And he was in the corner of his cell. I mean, what privacy do they have, right? So he was in the corner of his cell praying because he he used whatever space he could get. And he's praying, and his cellmate finally says, why do you do that every day? You know, you think praying is going to get you out of prison? You think, you know, he's like, he's like, you know, prayers and more and more prayers, it won't help you get out of here any faster, mate. And the Christian, he turned around and he said, you think I'm praying to get out of here? Then you don't get it. You don't understand what prayer is. I'm not praying to get what I want. I'm praying to know the mind of God. I'm praying to understand. I'm praying to relate. I'm praying to know his will. That's why I'm praying. I'm praying so that I can last another day in this cell with you. I'm praying so that God can give me strength, secret prayers, and public power. I'm praying so that I can know who God is. That's why we pray. So you say, Pastor, make this practical for me. What do I say? What do I say when I pray? What do I even, what words do I say? You know what you can say? This is what you can say. If you don't know how to pray, and in weeks to come, maybe I'll do even more practical stuff on, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, all that stuff. Like, But you know what you can say for now? God, who are you? What is your will? What kind of God are you? What, who am I? Who am I in your eyes? Who, who are you? What, what, what are your plans? How, search him out. Interrogate God. You know, when you read the opening chapters of the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, when Moses and God finally encounter each other, do you think God interrogated Moses? Saying, Moses, hmm, five foot ten, uh, how many pounds do you weigh? Um, are you good with your words? Let me see your resume. It didn't work that way. It was the other way around. It wasn't God interrogating Moses. When you read the opening chapters of Exodus, you see Moses, listen to this, Moses interrogating God. Who are you? The people are going to ask me, what's your name? What is your name? And God says, my name is Bob. Okay, I'll tell them Bob sent me. No, no, no. When God says, my name is I am who I am, I mean, I could do a whole sermon on those four words. There's tremendous amount of character, personality, There's a lot in those words. God is revealing his nature, his character, his ways to this interrogator. It's like Moses is sitting in the examiner's chair, right, with a spotlight turned on God. And God's blinking his eyes, and Moses is like, okay, now tell me, how do you operate in this world? You know, what are your methods? What are your ways? And God reveals, this is how we pray. This is how we pray. Who are you, God? What are you doing? How does this work? What are your ways? Okay, the end. Amen. I'm done. You walk away. No, no, no. Wait, wait. I I was going to tell you the answer. God is going to reveal the answer, and this is why, and this is the fourth and last instruction. Pray with Scripture. Keep the Bible open. Keep the Bible near you when you pray, and keep it open. Keep the Bible near you. 
Maybe you'll get to the place where you know scripture so quickly, you, you've read it so many times. I do this for a living, so I, I instinctively know where stuff is. But you'll get to a point where you'll know scripture so well that you'll have a conversation with God and you'll ask him a question, God, who are you? And then all of a sudden you're remembering the words from 2 Peter or you're remembering the words from Psalm 10 or you're remembering the words from Genesis. God, everlasting, who keeps his covenant faithful to the thousands and the millions. You'll know the word of scripture. You turn to those pages. Where does it say that? Oh, goodness. And you, you look it up on a concordance or forget the concordance. You have your phone. So you say, where is that verse? You type out the verse. You find it and you look it and you read it. And all of a sudden, you hear God speaking back to you. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works. You talk to God. He talks back in the open pages of Scripture. So the third instruction, engage your mind. Don't just bada, 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 Because no matter how much you bada, if you don't know what you're saying, and your mind is not engaged as you're bada, bada nothing will happen. But if you are engaged with your prayers, you can expect to hear an answer. You can expect to hear an answer. Oh dear, I have many, many stories. Many, many stories of, in my own experience, where in my prayers to God, What is the purpose of this? Or who am I? Or where, where is this going? Or who, where am I going? Or where are you? And immediately the words of Scripture would pop right back and I would know the answer. And I would know that's what God is saying in my heart. Pray with Scripture. You see, in conclusion, you'll never find out who you are unless you find out first who God is. In the last couple of weeks in December, as we studied, as we went through Ephesians, I talked a little bit about calling. I talked about calling. Even one Sunday, I was bold enough to even do some, like, activating prayers. You know, a couple of people here in the audience and, you know, activating, trying to spark into, you know, activation, giftings in this congregation. And we talked about calling and identity, and I shared my own midlife crises about calling. Here's the thing, no amount of self-introspection and searching out your calling, you're not gonna, we're not going to know who we are if our understanding of God is not there. A right ordering, a right ordering of knowledge of God will lead to the knowledge of self. I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. I can even philosophically, even philosophically, once Western civilization cut the head off and it became no longer about metaphysics and no longer about understanding God, it was just about understanding the self, the human subject, we really lost all of our bearing, all of our ethical foundations. We lost our, we lost our philosophical grounding. No amount of reflection on myself will really ever fully be complete until we understand who God is. Our prayers are ultimately not to know more about me, but to know more about God. 
And as I understand who God is, you will find. And that's the right order. You will find out things about yourself that you never knew possible. You never knew possible. I'll close with this. I am a very introspective person. Just by nature, it's who I am. I can't change that. I do a lot of journaling. I do a lot of self-reflection. But the biggest, most life-changing moments, the biggest clarity I've ever received in my life was not when I said, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? How do I fix me? But it came when I understood God's nature. It came from prayer and saying, God, who are you? And in light of understanding God, I've come to understand who I am. Breakthroughs, you're talking about. Breakthroughs in self-revelation. Breakthroughs. You know, I'll just stop there. Lots of stories. Breakthroughs. Breakthroughs. Breakthroughs in Jesus' name. May breakthroughs come as woven encounters God. And here on earth, may each of us individually have greater realization as we embark on these 21 days of spiritual purpose, prayer, fasting, whatever that looks like. Three spiritual principles. I close with this. I want to leave you with these applications as you go your way. Three things that I think are very important principles and truths. The first, fill in the blank, character is who we are when no one is watching. That's why Jesus says pray in secret. It's not in public. We have to develop a private prayer life, friends. It's not just public. Religion is not just about Sunday. We have to develop a spiritual life privately because character is who we are when no one is watching. It's going to be developed privately. It will be developed privately, but this is the second spiritual principle, second fill in the blank. Your secret prayers, they will lead to public power. People will recognize, they'll be able to tell the quality of your line. They'll see the pathway. They'll see the changed you. Secret prayers will lead to public power. And the third and last principle, we will never know who we are unless we first find out who God is. We'll never know who we are. I'll never know who I am unless first I find out who God is. Close your eyes at this time. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Maybe we could even dim the lights. And I want to give you some time now. Prayer is, prayer is a, it's a muscle. It really is a muscle. I learned this, thankfully, in my late teens and early 20s. Like all muscles, it can atrophy. If it's not practiced, it can atrophy. But when prayer is exercised, that muscle, when it becomes strong, powerful things happen. Whether you decide for these next 21 days or this upcoming series to fast or to show up on Wednesday night, I encourage that as well. Wednesday night prayer meetings. Or whatever you decide to do, let's make a start now. Let's make a start right now. I'm just going to walk you through a quick formula. 
The formula is called ACTS. That's an acronym, A-C-T-S. A-C-T-S, like the book of Acts. The A stands for adoration. And so, under your own breath, quietly, just speak words of adoration to God. God, I adore you. Lay my life before you, how I adore you. So as the music is quiet, go ahead and pray. Talk to God in adoration. It might feel weird if you've never done it before. Just try it. God, I don't even know if you're there. I don't even know if you're real. But I know you're good. I know you're good. And so I give you praise. Adoration can also be thanksgiving. You can also use the A to thank God. Thank you, God. The C in Acts, A-C-T-S, the C is confession. Confession. But we've breached some some ethical guidelines somewhere. We've, we've, um, we've crossed the line. That word trespass in the Lord's Prayer, very intentional. I crossed somebody's boundary. I crossed your boundary. I confess I did this. A-C-T-S. The T is Thanksgiving, actually. There's, there's Thanksgiving there as well. Um, you can practice this in different order, but we've done some Thanksgiving already, A-C-T. And finally, S is supplication, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication is basically supply. What do I need from God? God, this is what I need. This is when you can ask for that Xbox. I'm just kidding. This is when you can ask God for what needs. Typically, we don't do this the first thing. You know, first thing, you know, you don't go up to your mother or your father and say, I want this. We spend time first in the proper order of thanksgiving, confession. And then we close, we finish with supplication. Whatever needs you have, bring them before him now. 